Welcome once again to the Gary Wilkerson Podcast. Glad you're here today. We've been doing a series on the fascinating, life-altering Word of God. We believe that this will uh, cause your Christian faith to excel and give you faith like you never had before. Great things can happen when we really devote ourselves to understanding and believing the Word of God and applying the Word of God as well. Joshua West, glad to have you with us here today. How are you doing today? Glad to be with you. Um, Great beautiful day here today nice. uh, yeah. sitting here in your house it's a uh, it's wonderful to be here Colorado's not a horrible place to live is it it isn't I, I joke with people who you know have known about world challenge for a long time and I said you know if Gary would have called me um you know and invited me to come preach for the ministry and it would have been in Lindell Texas I still would have went um, but I'm sure glad it was in Colorado. <laughs> Amen. No offense to those of you from Lindale. <laughs> oh, yeah. We love we love Texas. I'm from Texas. Yeah, I know, but it's just a beautiful yeah. place here. Yeah. It's, hard. It's, it's, it's We travel a lot, you know, and people ask us, uh, you know, if you could go one place, where would you go? It was just home. Yeah. Just, yeah, just love, love <laughs> Praise here. God. Um, so we've been doing a series. I, I've been finding it intriguing and helpful. Um, these are things that I would have thought with this many years— 40-something years of preaching, I would have probably known all this stuff already. But you've, you've, you share some stuff that it's like, oh, okay, there's some difference between, you know, uh, exposition and hermeneutics uh, and how they cross together. And so uh, the past episodes we've been doing for this past few weeks, really highly encourage you to go back and listen to all these because they they kind of play off one another. And today we're on exegesis and eisegesis, two very similar sounding words, but probably extremely distant in the way we approach the Word of God. Would that be correct? Definitely. And yeah. they would be polar opposites linguistically yeah. and for good reason. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's talk about that. What's, uh, what, the, the, the only difference in the, the, the Jesus at the end, not J-E-S-U-S, but uh, at the end, but the only difference is the first few letters, right? right. And what, what do those first few letters mean? So the, when you talk about exegesis, we talked about that you know, in previous uh, podcasts in the series, the idea of carefully and thoughtfully expositing the scripture, you know, finding what it says and, and trying to, you know, study that or share it with other people. The actual meaning of the word I have written down here is to lead out of. Oh, that's exegesis. Exegesis yeah. is to lead out of or to extract something out of, where eisegesis actually means to lead into. And so there's this sort of idea of instead of um, instead of taking something out of what we're trying to study, we're imposing something onto it that doesn't belong there. Yeah. And so instead of like expositing what God says in His Word, we're trying to superimpose things onto God's Word or meanings or what what we're most guilty of doing is ourselves making something in the Bible about us that isn't necessarily about us. You know, the Bible speaks in two very distinct ways. And even though as different denominations, we can't always agree on these two things, for the most part we do. And that is that the Bible speaks descriptively and prescriptively. So there are sometimes the Bible's telling us about something. Right. Um, this is where people get in, you know, uh, Critics of the Bible would say, well, I can't read a book that, you know, condones slavery and child sacrifice and all this sort of stuff. Well, just because the Bible is telling us about something doesn't mean it's telling us to do that. The Bible has a lot of narrative of fallen, sinful humans and a holy and perfect God. And so a lot of times, you know, we 
Uh, that's an extreme example, but there are times where the Bible is merely telling us something. It's not telling us to do something. It's not giving a, us a formula for something. And and sometimes if we don't read the Bible in context, um, we don't do eyes or exegesis correctly. We don't do hermeneutics correctly. Then we we end up superimposing meanings or ourselves into places where where we don't belong. Instead of doing what we should do is carefully trying to understand what does the Bible say in context and how can we apply it to our lives. Or as preachers, how can we apply that to the people who are under the sound of our voice? Yeah. Uh, do you know? I don't. I don't know. I, I should. I should have studied this before we got this. But I, I did look at what you just said there. The X. Um, you know, draw, drawing out what it means and the ISA, putting your thoughts and superimposing it upon trying to make it mean what you want it to mean. But I, the Jesus part, the, do you know what that means? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, so it's the same sort. It's it's basically like um, the it, the Jesus part is the the substance of what we're we're dealing okay, with. Taking it out of the substance. Taking it out of the substance or, or putting, putting something into the substance. Into okay, the substance. Yeah. yeah. Right, well, that's good. I'm glad you knew because otherwise both of us would be embarrassed on this podcast. Yeah. You ever heard lawyers say that don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to? No so, doubt. No yeah, doubt so about it. Thank goodness. That was one of the ones I didn't, I didn't know, but uh, thank good we're not. Thank goodness we're not lawyers. I think you know there's there's not many times where you know uh, is studied as both of us are. You know, I I always find myself learning new things about theology and the Bible, and uh, you know it's it's very it's encouraging to me. I don't yeah. I don't you know most of the rooms I sit in, uh, being around you know you and many other great men of God, I'm I'm not typically the the most learned or skilled or uh, experienced person in the room. So I, uh, I'm i always trying to listen and pick up on some stuff that maybe I can learn something. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> I think part of proper exegesis, which would, would you know, the, the word, I want to talk a little bit about exegesis because exegesis, in some senses, we've been talking about that as we talk about exposition, ex, expositing the scripture or the hermeneutical um, style that we're putting upon scripture as we as we read it. So so we kind of touched on some of those areas, but but not so much on that. But um, you know, to to just piggyback off what you said, I think no matter how old you are, how experienced you are, how often you've preached, or how long you've studied the scripture, you know, just keeping humble. Like I can, you know, good exegesis is staying humble to the word. It yes. it, it might say something that shocks me or disturbs me or corrects me or moves me in a whole other thing that, you know, particularly the way we've learned. We're going to talk about one of our upcoming episodes about the lenses which we see Scripture through. So, uh, you know, if, if you have a dispensational lens, you'll see it as this, or a law and gospel lens, you'll see it in a certain way. But the exegesis really helps you, you know, just say that uh, I come humbly before this Word and I want it to speak to me rather than... Um, I, I want to, uh, you know, let's, let's just choose a debate. We won't actually say what side of the debate we're on, but women preachers. Um, so exegesis would be, I'm going to go through this, find the, the text that speaks to that issue, and then really try to, you know, you know what's you know, the, all the stuff we've talked about before. What's in the chapter before? What's in the verses before right. and after? Uh, what is the, who is he speaking to? What is the history of this church? Uh, and then, so that's that's the proper exegesis. Eisegesis is, I believe women shouldn't preach in church, or I believe women should preach in church, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the scripture and make it mean that. Right. Uh, that that and that's that's I, to me that's where because because oftentimes one of the disturbing things 
in my history with God and ministry has been how could how could two really godly, faithful, Jesus-loving prayer warriors get on their knees, humbly want God to speak to them, and come up with a totally different worldview? And, yeah. and, and I think, if I could humbly say this and, and admit my own error in this, is sometimes I bring eisegesis to the Scripture. No doubt about and, it. And when I do, I'm going to come up with something that maybe somebody who's went to it with exegesis might come up with a different word than mine. My pride, my arrogance will cause me to defend my eisegesis of that particular topic and say, you know, this is right. And I think that's where division, theological, doctrinal division comes from, is this. And that's why this we take, we're taking a whole episode to talk about these two significant words because they, they, they can lead us into truth or they can lead us into error. I think we have to acknowledge a couple of things. We all have... Uh, even if the, we've we've got these preconceived notions from our parents or from church or from a Christian worldview or from a non-Christian worldview, we all bring eisegetical thoughts into our study of Scripture. We have to be very, very conscientious to not do that. We have to make a concerted effort not to read the Bible through the lens of what I wanted to say or what I hope is true or what the denomination I grew up. It doesn't mean your denomination's wrong or your mom and dad's wrong. But we have to study to show ourselves approved. We have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so when I come to God's word, I have to be willing to lay aside a doctrinal belief that I've held my whole life because I grew up believing it. And a lot of people I respect grew up believing it if the word of God convinces me otherwise. And I think it, it is about being humble before the Lord. It's hard, though, because it's easy to listen to a a David Wilkerson or a John Piper or an R.T. Kindle and these guys that have it all together. And it's it's a lot easier to go, they say a lot of good things, so I believe like they believe, yeah. right? Instead of saying, I learned a lot of things from this man, this man, but I need to make sure that that I'm I'm because here's how we get to know God. And so I, I think, you know, it's it's something we do naturally. Some people do it to the extreme, but if we're not conscientious of it, we will do it. Yeah. If we're not conscientious of the fact that we we have to weigh all the value of all things on the, and that's why I think me and you have, you know, embraced certain doctrines and, and frankly left some doctrines behind maybe we were raised with, not because we're, you know, contentious or mean, but because we believe that the scripture says that. And I can have unity with a man who would theologically disagree with me in some minor areas that I know holds fast to this. We can actually have fellowship. We can we can uh, graciously discuss these things. It's the man that that won't let this be the moderator, the mediator um, that 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 I have a hard time dealing with. And, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to talk about eisegesis, but I, I think we'll we'll get into a few of them here. Um, did you have uh, something you wanted to say? Uh, I was just uh, I just wanted to pick up an example. You know how you the eisegesis would be superimposing your thoughts. On something, so uh, we're going to be talking about dispensationalism in one of our upcoming episodes. And so the dispensationalist would say, um, "I read the scripture literally." So the, my exegetical lens in scripture is when I read something, it's going to be literally. I'm going to take it exactly what it says. I don't actually follow that because some some scriptures are not meant to be. Right, they're not lit, written. We take literally. the literal meaning in the literary form that the Bible was written. <laughs> That's. I'm so glad you said that. Yes, yeah, so just an example of that. Uh, Revelation 20, verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. I'll take that literally. I believe an angel could 
come down. You can see an angel. He's in heaven. He can come down uh, holding this hand, a key to the bottomless pit. Now I'm getting a little more, does an angel need a a key or can he just open it up by the power of his being? Yes. So so now I'm a little bit less, do I need to be literal that, that, you know, do we need to argue over, does an angel have a key or not? Uh, and And he sees the dragon. Okay, now... Is the devil actually a dragon, right. or is he a Genesis one, two, and three a snake? Right. Or, you know, so so now we're getting into maybe figurative language. So to me, literally exegeting the scripture or to, to exegesis this right. I'm, if if I'm putting my eisegesis on this, I'm saying everything in here is literal. So so the devil actually must be a dragon. Uh, but then it says, but these, but is that ancient serpent? Oh, well, which one is he? If you're going to take it literally, half dragon, half serpent is. Right. So you see what I'm getting at here? Is, oh, I completely. Is, is your your lens um, has a lot to do with proper interpretation, and so, and you can't. I don't think you can. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if you can come to the scripture without any lens at all. But yeah. I th- but you can come to scripture, I think, with a biblical lens. I think the most important thing, that's why how we view exegesis and hermeneutics is so important. There'll be some slight differences between um, some hermeneutical principles, but most faithful Christians would would agree on most of the sort of devices of the way we divide the scripture up. Um, so I think we're in pretty good ground. We can't come to the scripture and forsake the things that help us interpret the scripture. Right. Like if you can't forsake language, you can't forsake your knowledge of first century Judaism. Right. You can't. So we have to bring some things. The question is, um, are we bringing things that are unnecessary or are we prioritizing things over? Um, so, you know, the order of things would be the scripture. So no matter what I, I can get wrong, some history, I could get wrong, if I'm dispensationalist or covenantal, those things can change, but the scripture doesn't change. And so I think the problem most people have is once they've grabbed hold of of a of a theological um, fringe or uh, camp, yeah. it's very hard for them to be willing to. Because for me, I find myself not really being faithful. And there's, a, I probably could fit into a couple of camps, and I think most. Biblical Christians could. It doesn't mean you can't be a staunch believer in five-point Calvinism. You can't be a staunch believer in a pre-trib rapture. That's fine. But the problem is, is when you're so dedicated to that, that you're you're not willing to lay that on the altar continually on the scales of Scripture. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's happened. Pastor Joshua West here, co-host of the Gary Wilkerson podcast. I want to invite you to go to worldchallenge.org and listen to the latest sermon series from myself and from Gary Wilkerson. And I'm not speaking for or against any of those things, but those things can never, the, the idea of why we believe those things are supposed to be born out of exposition of the scripture. Yeah. And frankly, um, the more you know about the Bible, the those things are going to change yeah. because there's things you didn't see or understand before. And so that's so why we've got to be so humble, but we've got to prioritize things the right way. And you're right, you know, the the lens, you can talk about, you know, the the dispensationalism versus covenantalism. I think the the three big areas that divide the evangelical church would be, um, you know, the the Calvinist, Arminianist argument, the, the way we view spiritual gifts, and the way we view eschatology or right. end times. Um, I think that we can be faithfully biblical Christians and agree to disagree 
with people, especially if these people's arguments are rooted in scripture and we'll say, well, I don't know that that and that, I don't know that Romans 9 means that, or I don't think it does. That's okay. But the problem is, is we become so dogmatic about these, that even people who are biblical, faithful Christians eisegete in these areas because they want to bolster their argument rather than just saying, here's what the scripture says. And yeah, this one is a little weird. Maybe, maybe this one point is less sure than these four. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where people, where pride gets in the way. And, and I think sometimes people do it because of the first thing I said, they find the lane that seems the most biblically faithful to them. And that's okay. Go to church where, and be under preaching that you think in that way but we shouldn't deify or canonize those things. We just can't. Yeah. I think there's a third word that you wouldn't think would fit in this conversation we're having, but I'll put it out there, uh, sanctification. Mm. The the um, Sometimes I know when my pride says, like, I interpret the Scripture this way. I find myself arguing almost with a little more heat than light. Uh, I realize it's, it's, it's not an issue of... of proper interpretation, it's, it's, it's like I'm almost forced into eisegesis because of the lack of soul care that, that I, I'm allowing pride or arrogance to, to speak or a lack of correction, a dog, dogmatic um, approach to, to life. Uh, you know, some, and you can see it, I don't mean to be accusatory here, but you can see it in some preachers, I mean, some really good preachers, but as you're listening to me, go like, love his word, Love is uh, delivery, but there's like you just the whole time you're listening, you're like, there's such an arrogance there. Yeah, you know, and, it's, and that's the sanctification issue that that I think when I'm troubling myself over, you know, use your example like you know you mentioned earlier about some things that you know maybe we used to hold to that we don't now. That's so I don't know about you, but that's so frustrating to me. It's like I'm holding to this doctrine, and I really believe it with my heart. I've I've heard it taught and I believed it and I see it in scripture and I've even you know, taught it to other people, and then all of a sudden I come to uh, a, a series of texts, not just, probably not just one, but like two or three that, you know, when, when we talked about earlier in one of our earlier podcasts about, you know, uh, clarity of, of Scripture and uh, the, the, how does that say, like the, the obvious, the plain? The plain inter- interprets the obscure, not obscure, the other way around. Yeah, yeah. and so, uh, you know, and I see several plain Scriptures. Or the clear. The clear, yeah. Clear, interprets the obscure. Clear, yeah. plain uh, clearly, clearly plain <laughs> scriptures. Um, I, I get so frustrated. I go like, oh man, that's just, I'm having a hard time. You know, and, but I love it. I mean, that's the wrestling with scripture that I think brings to light truth. If you're just, just, just humble before the word, trembling at the word of God, you, you, you see things and you just go like, that doesn't fit in my worldview. Yeah. Uh, but, but let it, let it be there. And there are some tensions that I hold that probably most, if I went to a seminary and asked the professors if it's okay to hold this tension, they'd probably say, no, you have to determine or you, you know, don't be tossed between two opinions. But there are certain issues where, you know, I can honestly say that sounds like this, you know, it sounds like A and this sounds like B and A and B seem to be opposed to each other. Right. <laughs> the only thing I, I, I can do is, is say you know, there's some mystery in this too. That that that's we shouldn't be afraid to hold on to a little bit of mystery, that you know we don't fully understand the Trinity, you know in some senses you go well, three and one or right. the hypostatic union Christ is both fully divine and fully human, um, you know could it be there are certain things that we don't grasp like oh well you know maybe 
maybe God answers prayer this way, but then sometimes he doesn't answer prayer because of this. And you're yeah. holding that. No, I believe God always answers prayer. But I see some things where God said no or seemed to ignore the prayers. And so you're holding two different things in a, I wouldn't even call it tension. I, I'd see it more like, you know, I've got a piano in the next room there. And, you know, instead of talking about balance, so balance this with that is, I call it harmony. You know, you're hitting yes. several notes together and, and it makes a chord of knowing God maybe in, in better ways. But I, I do believe that there are, that to, to be, I think a, to be a good Bible teacher, a good preacher, uh, and someone who exegetes the scripture well and avoids eisegesis, I think that person has to go through a lot of um, internal uh, inward looks, not navel gazing, but look inside and just see, you know, Lord, what things are you dealing with my heart? Uh, yes. Uh, slow to learn, you know, quick to speak. Do I do it, you know, or am I arrogant? Am I, you know, just let that deep work. You know, uh, John Calvin starts his Institute of, of uh, Christian, Christian religion. religion with saying, you know, when God speaks to you, he's speaking about two things, who he is and who you are. And, yeah. uh, and I think if uh, to get to proper exegesis takes a man or a woman to know who they are Definitely. And, and what baggage they might bring to that. Otherwise, they're going to be blind. They're going to just, they're going to be isogeting left and right and not even know they're doing it. You can, sure. even, you can even tell them, no, you just isogetically interpret that scripture. They'll, they'll refuse to believe it. You know, and, and uh, you know, you, you see that in people that tend to talk a lot about money or tend to talk a lot about healing. You know, they don't want to ever admit somebody doesn't get healed. Right. Um, and so they're, they're, they're looking at it through that that lens. And you really have to, you know, avoid a lot of other parts of the scripture and just reality. You know, it's not a lack of faith to have uh, real to understand reality. You know, when Jesus came up to heal somebody, you know, he didn't say, hey, speak positive confession. Are you sick? <laughs> Don't say you're sick. No, he's like, are you sick? Do you want me to make you well? Yeah. You know, it's the dealing with reality. Yeah, I'm sick. I'm crippled. That's you see how me. Every sitting. conversation of healing started with yeah, that. Yeah, it was never like, you know, pretend like you're not sick. And then that's not what faith really was. Um, an area that I want to discuss, I know we're running low on time, is what I think is the most, to me, the most common means of eisegesis in our culture today. And, you know, I think. Um, we, we talk about these doctrinal differences where we, where we eisegetically superimpose things to bolster something we believe. I think that's common. You know, it's just part of human nature. And the, the more we can not do that, the better off we'll be. Absolutely. But I think the more subtle and probably the more common in, in today's culture is not denying doctrines. There are people that would, if I went to their statement of faith, uh, I could name, you know, people that would be from preachers I wouldn't listen to, but maybe their brothers to those that I would call false teachers. Um, and some of their doctrinal statements would say a lot of things I would say are true. Yes, the Trinity. Yes, Jesus, fully man, fully God. Yes, the inerrancy of Scripture. So doctrinally, they're saying the right things, but in their in their communication of the Scripture, it's always eisegetical. Um, you know, instead of uh, ex, you know, the exposition of what is, you know, this is the most common one I've heard people like Matt Chandler or um, I think even uh, John Owen mentions this, but he would have had no vantage point on the way people use it today. But the story of King David, you know, the, this idea that, um, you know, it's like this idea that, you know, we are always superimposing ourselves, that we're David. And the eisegetical meaning is that whatever we don't like in life is the, the, the Goliath, our bad marriage, our... Um, you know, the guy that treats us wrong, you know, there's a, 
a preacher that, you know, I, I think is a very unsound preacher by the name of John Gray. And he preaches this mer- uh, sermon where he's like, you know, you know you're a David if you've got some Saul's, right? Mm. This idea, oh, if people are hating on you, oh, yeah. you must be a David, you know. Right. You can't be a David without a Saul. Yeah. And then, you know, he and so you get into this place where, and these are things people's itching ears want to hear. Yeah. But what is the real point of the story of David and Goliath. Who's the real hero of that story? The real hero is God. And, you know, um, and this idea that we're always the hero, we're always the one being persecuted, we're always the one who we superimpose ourselves in that place instead of letting the Bible apply to us rightly that we might be the scared Philistine who who isn't willing to stand for the name of the sovereign God of the universe. Or we might be the one who's willing to stand up for the glory of God. and, And we may slay the giant in that moment. We may get stoned to death like Stephen did, but really finding what the Bible really says there. I think that kind of eisegesis is, and I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but this is making allegory uh, or morality the basis of all biblical texts to where we superimpose a meaning onto a text and we use the function of the text as a, as a vehicle yeah. to get us where we want to go. I think that is probably the most common misuse of Scripture in our culture. And sadly, even among churches I would consider fairly biblical, still is a, is a bad habit to some degree. It's, you know, that idea because we feel like we have to, we're, we've been conditioned to practicalize the Scripture to a point where Every sermon has to resolve in this particular fashion, or some sermons don't resolve the same. Some are kind of leaving us hanging. Some are challenging us. Some are encouraging us. Some are commanding us. And I think that that eisegesis of of superimposing that meaning into the text is probably the most common um, where people wouldn't disagree on doctrines, and they would still misuse the Scripture that way. Yeah, I think if you look at, you know, neither of us would know the— Actual, actual percentage, but I think both of us could take a pretty good guess at it when you say that being one of the prevailing problems, I would say most churches are lean that way. It's a, I come on Sunday morning, you t- basically you preach about me, That's how right. I'm going to succeed, how I'm going to thrive, how I'm going to break barriers, how I'm going to make, fulfill my destiny. As long as you keep preaching about me, I'll keep coming and drop my coin in the offering. Uh, but preach about God, that's right. I'm, I'm going to check out. I'm going to get. I'm going to yawn. I'm going to get bored. I'm, I'm not going to come back. You know, two three weeks uh, later. And uh, I hope this doesn't sound boasting, but I would say, uh, I I don't go to church to hear about me. And I, I, I think about myself far too much during the week anyway. Yeah. So I need to go and hear the, the man of God talk about God. Right. And so I'd say that you know, unfortunately, if you go online and look at the top, you know, fifty most downloaded sermons, you know, yep. uh, probably. Out of those fifty preachers, probably thirty to forty would be preaching a meism mentality. No doubt. Uh, the, the David thing, or personal your, destiny, or Red Sea. God will open right. up the Red Sea. Your Red Sea is your job, uh, not promoting you. You're great, and your future's bright. That, yeah, that's pretty much. And it's usually just a few action steps yeah. to get there. Yeah, and it came out of. I believe it came. It's you know there was there was so much negative press towards the. Uh, the money-grubbing, hyper-faith-and-prosperity teachers that these guys have learned to become a little bit more subtle. I'm not going to be talking about money. You know, you, you can become rich. Right. So, so Because, you know, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not in that prosperity. 
No, but instead, it's, but you can become, the, you know, the head and not the the feet. Definitely, you, you can, and it's the exaltation of self. It's it's uh, it, and it's it's not it's not. There's really nothing more demonic than that. Is is this is that self exaltation? I'll say this too. I think one of the things that that the way this plays out and what you were just saying about how it's about me. Oftentimes, we take things that are meant to be seen in an eternal light. And we, we have to, we feel the need to transport that into a temporal promised result. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that God doesn't interact in our lives. God doesn't bless us. God doesn't help us. I mean, I'm sitting here today because of the grace of God, freeing me from addiction, blessing me with a wife, you know, giving me the opportunity to be a preacher, have a house. I mean, there's all these things that God has blessed me with. But, but many times to communicate that message to people, we take things that are eternal, Things that are that are about a future city whose builder and maker is God, yeah. eternal promises, and we try to boil them down into temporal ones that they don't always reconcile to. These aren't promises. Um, there are many Christians today that have lived more holy and devout lives than I ever have. That don't have a house and and they don't have money, and they're under extreme persecution. Um, there are people that have been marginalized in different cultures, and it's not because I figured the formula out and they didn't. It's it's the sovereignty of God. It's where I live. It's this season of my life. I think that's the biggest one: is trying to boil down eternal promises into temporal promises that say. That when this really means God's going to save you and you're and He'll never let anything snatch you from His hands, it means that you will get that promotion and that your your marriage is going to work out the way you want it to, and that prodigal's definitely coming home, um, and you're going to be rich and even the more self gratifying ones. Yeah. And that to me is if you want to boil it down, that's the epitome. If you want to, if you want to, without even being terribly discerning and terribly educated, if you want to know if a place you're sitting under the preaching at is eisegetical or exegetical, ask the question, who's the sermon about? If it's about God um, and how you interact with God and he's the hero and he's the savior, he's magnified and he's glorified. That's not the only um, litmus test, but that's a pretty good one. If it's all about about you, God's kind of like a stool you stand on to get where you're going, yeah. and God's kind of like the the enabler of your will, your way. Like He's a supporting actor in your movie. You you're probably in an eisegetical setting. That's good, good good place to conclude because a sharp sharp concept thought there. Well, thank you again for joining us. Appreciate that, and um, we want you to join us next week. We're going to be covering another uh, four ways to study the Bible, and uh, these will help you uh, just kind of fill out. Um, you know, to keep us from getting uh, stuck in one particular way of looking at the scripture, we can have some different ways of doing that. So join us next episode. God bless you. Talk to you soon. Ephesians 6.18 says that we should pray at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. If you would like someone at World Challenge to pray with you, visit worldchallenge.org forward slash prayer or call us at one 833 W C praise again that's 1833 W C praise If you enjoyed today's episode we invite you to do two things first share this with someone else second click on the subscribe or follow button on whatever app you're using to listen to the show that way you get notified when we release a new episode Thanks for joining us we hope to see you next time 